The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning. It's good good to be with you. We are wrapping up this morning our series as we've been in the book of Proverbs for about the last month and a half. And one of the things that I've loved as we've kind of gone through, and I was reflecting this week as we've gone through this series, is we've been able to hit a few different issues that I believe are really core issues in the Christian life, that if we grow in wisdom, if, if we get these things right, they have huge trickle-down effects on so many different areas of our lives. About a month ago, Anthony preached on pride. And one of the the things about pride is is that it's one of those fundamental sins in our lives. If we can grasp with it, learn how to deal with our pride, it has such a huge impact. If you know this or not, but C.S. Lewis, the well-known theologian and author, actually said that pride is the foundational sin in the human life. And C.S. Lewis, Lewis argued that if you could defeat pride, it would have the largest impact, such a huge impact in every other area of your life. Now, you could disagree or not with him on if it's the biggest sin in your life, but I think we'd all agree that, man, if we, if we could learn humility and how to deal with our pride, it has so many, so many effects. Then a few weeks ago, Ben talked about words and why our words are so significant. And he referenced in the New Testament that, that verse that says, if you can master your tongue, you are perfect. Not just like you're good or you're going to have a good life, but if you can actually master what you say, you are perfect. And why do our words matter so much? Because it's out of an abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And words are a sign of something far greater than just actually what we're saying. And today, as we wrap up this series in the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at what I think is in our lives, perhaps the greatest idol for us in our time, in our place, and actually the greatest idol in human history. Now, some of you are like, um, this guy's crazy. I don't have any idols in my house. I don't know what he's talking about, right? You're like, if you were to come to my house, I don't have like some little image that I bow down to and kiss and worship. I, I don't struggle with idols. And I would say, well, yeah, that's one way to think of idols, but idols in our hearts are more than just little things that we bow down to that we think other people do. I love what one pastor said. He said, an idol is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is anything you seek to give you what only God can actually give you. And one theologian says that our hearts are idol factories, meaning we are always coming up with things that we can put in place of God in our lives. And so anything in your life, good or bad, can become an idol. Success can become an idol. Your career, grades, your spouse, your kids, your hobbies, your fantasy football team, it all can become an idol in your life because it can take a place and push God out to the side as it gives me meaning, satisfaction, hope, security for the future. And I believe that the idol that has the strongest pull on our hearts is the idol of money. The idol in our time, in all of human history, but especially in our time and where we live in this affluent Bay Area, that the idol has the strongest pull on our hearts is the idol of money. See, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, talking about the importance of of how we handle money and the reflection that is in our lives. Jesus says this, 
for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How we handle money points to spiritual issues in our lives. It's a mirror back to us. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter six, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And looking to the Proverbs to, to look to for wisdom, for money, and how we handle money in our lives, I think is, is very helpful because Proverbs offers a very well-rounded picture of money. If you were to look at certain sections of the Bible and just focus on a few different things, you could come away with very different beliefs about money. Like if you were to focus just on a very few people, you're like, hey, look, Abraham, Joseph, David, Solomon, these are godly men. They're all super wealthy. Therefore, if you're godly, you will be wealthy. That's what I want with my life, right? Like, okay, that, that's what the Bible teaches. Well, then if you look at different parts of the Bible, especially if you look at some of the prophetic books, you're like, man, all the problems in the world are caused because of wealthy people oppressing the poor. Like that is such a huge issue. And it's the wealthy people, it's their, the godly people are the poor and it's the wealthy who are the ungodly. And it's because of them that everything is going bad. And the Proverbs take this kind of middle view and they look, they see the challenges of both sides. And this morning, as we look to the Proverbs for wisdom and how as followers of God, we can steward our money well and what it says about us, we're gonna look at four ways to prevent money from becoming an idol in our lives. I believe that if we grasp what, what the Proverbs teach us about money, and if these truths come into our heart and are lived out through our lives, that it will help us to prevent money from becoming this idol within our hearts. The first way to prevent money from becoming an idol in our lives is first to recognize the dangers of wealth. To recognize the dangers of wealth. Now, right away, when I say wealth, what some of you are probably thinking of are the uber wealthy. You're like, yeah, Bezos and Zuckerberg, those guys, you gotta watch out for those guys, right? Like we, we always can assume wealthy people are those who make more than me. That's who the wealthy people are, right? But in the reality, when you look at our world, if you slept with a roof over your head and came to church today in a car, you are relatively wealthy compared to most of our world. Most of us in this room would be in the picture of wealth in our world. And so this isn't like those super, super wealthy people, those CEOs, those techs. So no, this, this is most of us. The dangers of having wealth in our lives. One of the dangers is this, is that we think that wealth can bring us security. We think that wealth in our lives, once our bank accounts, once our portfolios, once we reach a certain status, that it brings security in our lives. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 11, whoever trusts in his riches, whoever places his security, his confidence, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Now, it certainly isn't saying that it's wrong to save, to plan for retirement. Of course, there's nothing wrong with it. That's good and smart handling of money. But the problem is sometimes that we think that because we have achieved a certain amount, that now we're safe. Now we have protection. Now we can settle in. There, there's this, life, this idea that we are guaranteed something in life if we have reached a certain income when wealth doesn't really offer us any security. If we put our trust in it, we will fall. 
And this leads into, I think, what the, one of the biggest temptations, the dangers of wealth, is wealth can lead us into thinking we have all that we need. Wealth can lead us, not the super wealthy, wealth can lead every one of us into thinking, I have now, because I've achieved this, because of the things, the possessions that I now have, because of the wealth that I have, it, it gives me everything that I need. Think of, and sometime maybe if you want, look at the New Testament when Jesus interacts with wealthy people. Why does Jesus say that it is so hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Is it because like, well, they can't, they don't know how to place their church. Well, no, why is he saying it? It's because it is so hard for someone who has a lot to actually recognize their need for God because they are blinded to their spiritual need because of the accumulation of things and of possessions and of wealth in their lives. The comforts that we have in our lives can very easily numb us to our deeper need that we have for Jesus. The comforts that all of us experience in our modern world very easily can numb us to this deeper spiritual need that we have. I've been able to see this lived out in real life. I've been blessed to travel to quite a few different countries, either on vacation or for missions opportunities. And I've been able to travel to places that is true, true poverty in the world. And one of the things that's always stuck out to me, it is astounding, people who find themselves in true poverty, how open they are to hearing about Jesus. You don't have to go in and like apologize and like you walk in and you're like, hey, can I share with you about Jesus? And they said, I would love to, let me tell you more. And, and they, they recognize there's, they haven't been numb to this deeper need of what's going on. And there's a thirst, a hunger for spiritual things because of the lack of their lives. I don't think it's any coincidence that we in the Bay Area, I don't know if you realize this or not, especially if you've kind of lived here for your whole life. This is one of the most wealthiest places in the world. Not just in the U.S., it certainly is in the U.S., but the Bay Area is one of the most wealthiest places in the entire world. And it certainly is one of the wealthiest in the entire United States. I don't think it's a coincidence that we live in one of the wealthiest places in our country and also the most non-Christian and de-Christian place in our entire country as well. Why? Because we have accumulated so much stuff, we have so much money, we can get whatever we want, that it's easy for us to at some point be like, I don't really need God anymore because I've got all of these other things in my life that can bring me certain sorts of pleasure and happiness and wealth in our lives can eventually push out this need for God and think that, man, I don't actually need him. Proverbs chapter 30 has this astounding, these astounding verses starting at verse seven. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Then this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full, that's like, lest I have abundance, lest I be rich, and deny you and say, who is the Lord? He's saying, man, if I have too much, it's so easy in my heart to be like, who's God? Why do I need him anyways? I have all that I need. Or the opposite, in poverty, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, the Proverbs understands that there's challenges and dangers to wealth, but also to poverty. So you can, we can all take a deep breath. The application today is not to take a vow of poverty. You're like, okay, good. Like, it's not to sell everything to move to another country and live on zeroed out. Like, that's not the application of the sermon. 
But the reality is, is that for a lot of us, wealth has numbed our need to Jesus in our ongoing life. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, starting at verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I now have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, ha ha, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That is such an astounding parable by Jesus, right? The rich man comes into an abundance, a blessing in his life, thinks, what should I do with all of this stuff? I know I'll make myself able to hold on more of it for me. And after he does it, notice who his self-talk is. What does he say? He says, I will say to my soul. His wealth has become his spiritual significance. His spiritual health is found in his status, in his wealth. And he says, you have all you need to now take it easy. The Bible was certainly not written for us individually as Americans or America wasn't even around years ago when it was written. But man, does this passage ever speak to our attitude as Americans? What happens if you've come into extra wealth? Well, you better figure out a way for you to use it for you, right? Like what a blessing. Now you can make a bigger bank account. You can buy another house. You can buy a better this. It's all for you. And Jesus says, what is that? What are you saying to your soul when you're doing that? See, the danger of wealth is thinking that it will give us all that we need. The second danger of wealth that Proverbs points out, or the second way, excuse me, the second way to prevent wealth from becoming an idol is do not allow money to lead to compromise. Do not allow money to lead to compromise in other areas of your life. One of the natural temptations when it comes to wealth is wealth often is associated with the sin issue of pride in our lives. Because pride is by nature comparative. Pride only happens when you compare yourself or your situation to others. And it's easy to think that because of wealth in someone's life, that they are better off or you are better off than they are, that you are better than them because you may have more wealth. I love this stark, stark reality that the Proverbs gives us in Proverbs 22, verse two. The rich and the poor meet together. That's like, end of days, meet before God. You go before the throne. You meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. See, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you're gonna meet God and he's your maker. See, your bank account, your stock portfolio doesn't change your value as a person. You could be in this room this morning with $5 million in your bank account or $5 in your bank account and you stand the same before God but it is very easy to start to judge people based on income status and wealth in our world. 
It's natural to raise up the wealthy, to push down those who are poor. It's easy to stereotype those who have less than us. Why don't they have as much as I do? Well, they're clearly not as smart. They don't work as hard. They're not gifted like I am, right? We would never say that out loud, but we think it. We think, why did I get it? And they didn't. Well, because I'm better. There's a natural pride that comes with success and wealth in life, that wealth can often lead to, to the sin of pride in our hearts. The Proverbs also has a lot to say about how we accumulate money and making sure that we do so in a way that honors God. In Proverbs chapter 21, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Don't lie, don't deceive just to increase wealth of your own. There's many Proverbs that talk about not pushing down the poor in order at increasing your own life. Proverbs 22, 16, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gifts to the rich will only come to poverty. That we shouldn't push down those who have less than us just to make our lives better off. It also talks a lot about unequal weights. Proverbs 20 verse 10 is an example. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. This was a way of them to skim off the top, to adjust things so that they could unjustly take and steal extra from others. Now, the majority of us this morning are not challenged. The challenge in our lives is not that we're accumulating our wealth in a sinful way. It's not like, oh man, I'm a software engineer. I'm stealing from the poor every day when I go to work. No, it's not like, oh geez, I'm sinning by going to work. Most of us, probably all of us, but certainly most of us are not sinful in our occupations or even in how we do them. But I just want us to be careful that we aren't allowing in our lives our pursuit of money and career to lead us to compromise in other areas of our lives. Like one of the most common ones that we compromise in our lives to chase after money and success is we compromise our families in order to achieve a certain material status. Now, not necessarily meaning that like we've abandoned our children and gotten like on our fifth marriage or something like that. Although if that's true, then yes, you certainly have. But, But you can still be married and have kids, but you're not really giving them the priority. You've pushed them to the side to focus on work. And it's another late night and it's another game missed and it's another this that you can't be to. And suddenly there's just this pattern that is developed and the kids, your kids see it clearer than anyone else is that, hey, work matters more to mom than I do. Dad cares more about his career than he cares about me. And that that we've placed our wealth, our careers ahead sometimes of our families. This is a huge challenge for us as pastors in ministry, that the needs of the ministry are always there. And if we are not careful, if I'm not careful, it's really easy. There's no shortage of work that I could always be doing. And it's really easy to just start to push aside family space or the, the one that I hate the most, which is true of me, is to be home, but to not actually be home. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you're home, but you're on your phone doing your email. You have the computer open. You're you're home, but you're not actually home. Be careful that we're not compromising our family to push our own success and our desire and our chasing after wealth. Sometimes the pursuit of wealth could lead to compromising our faith. Not as if we've abandoned Christianity, but we've become so consumed with this cycle of getting more and achieving more and having more that we have no place in our lives for service, 
for community, for deep relationship, for time alone with God, for rest. All of these things sound so foreign because like my life is so full with work and all this achieving. How could I ever do that? So don't allow money to lead to compromise in other areas of our lives. The third way to not allow money to become an idol in our life is to see the limitations of money. To see and to recognize that money can give you some things, yes, but it is limited in what it can offer you. One of the Proverbs' favorite things to do is he takes something that he, that he talks about and says, hey, by the way, this, way better than money. This thing, much better to have this than to have wealth. One of those is wisdom. Is it is far superior to be wise and have wisdom than to have wealth. Proverbs 8, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. As I was reflecting on this verse this week, I was struck by the fact that I'm sure I'm not the only one, I'm sure we all have. Have you ever met someone who's very rich but is a total fool? because I certainly have. Have you ever met someone who is extremely wise, but has very little material possessions? Because I certainly have as well. But sometimes if we think which is the alternative that we would take, we'd be like, well, I could probably not be super foolish. We're like, I would try not to be fool, but that, that's where my heart, and I think lots of our hearts would naturally, oh, not, but no, wisdom far superior to what wealth or money could offer us. Wisdom is, sorry, money is also seen as not being as good as righteousness. That if you could pick one or the other, wealth or righteousness, which would you choose? Well, you should choose righteousness. Proverbs chapter 11, verse four. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The day of wrath is this end day when we all, every single one of us will stand before God. Saying all that you've accumulated in life, when you get to that point, what does it mean? Nothing. It means nothing. But what actually matters is, is righteousness, your relationship with God. I was reminded when I read this verse of what Ricky preached about a few weeks ago, this idea of passing on an inheritance to the next generation. And in our mind, inheritance is how much money am I leaving for those who come after me? And he pointed us to this fact that this theme throughout scripture of our inheritance is the righteousness of our lives. Godly legacy lived after us. That's the inheritance that we should really be focused on leaving for our kids. And this is another verse that just reinforces that. I mean, if you leave your kids a lot of money, but you leave them no legacy of faith, what have you actually left them? You haven't left them the more valuable thing, which is to know and to be right with God. Another thing that was, excuse me, I keep saying that, that money is not as good at, is money is not as good as the fear of the Lord. Money fails in comparison to the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble with it. It is much better to have a proper relationship, a proper understanding of who God is, of how great he is in our world, and have very little in our worlds. It's much better to have the fear of the Lord than to have great treasures. The fourth way, the fourth way that we can prevent money from becoming an idol, be intentional at giving it away. The fourth way to prevent money from becoming an idol in your life, be intentional at giving it away. The Proverbs talk a lot 
but how we use our money towards those who are less fortunate than us. Talks a lot about how we treat the poor. Proverbs chapter 28, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes, he who ignores the hurts, the needs of those around him will get many a curse. Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him his deed. See, money is a blessing from God. Money is a blessing from God. But here's the thing, you'll be far more blessed if you give that money away. Money is a blessing, but you receive a far greater blessing if you actually give that money away. See, there, there's this cycle that comes to our lives when it comes to money, as, as Christians, how we understand it. First is this, is that God is a generous God. That's where our understanding of money has to start. That God is a generous God. If you are a Christian this morning, God has given you far more than you ever deserved. And I'm not just talking about money. In every single sense, for every single one of us, God has given us far more than we deserve. God is a generous God to his people. Because God is generous, he wants you to be generous with others. He wants you to reflect his heart of generosity, to be generous towards others. And then there's this amazing things that happen. When you start to be generous, when you catch the glimpse of this generous heart of God and start to practice generosity in your own life, what often happens is God is then in return more generous with you as well. It's this cycle that starts that as we receive generosity from God, pass along, we continue to be even more amazed, more in awe of the generosity of God into our own lives. One of the most plain but astounding verses in Proverbs when it comes to this idea, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. One gives freely. They, they are generous with their life, yet they find an even fuller life. Riches there doesn't just mean physical riches. It doesn't just mean they get back what they give, but they find something far better than wealth. They, they grow in riches as they give, but someone also holds on. They, they hold tight to what they should be giving away and they suffer. They suffer for it. Whoever that who brings blessing to others will themselves be blessed. Those whose lives are generous and focus on watering others, helping others will themselves be helped. See, when it comes to money, if you spend your life, if your life is about gaining, you will never be satisfied. If your life is about gaining money, you will never be satisfied with how much you have. We'll always need more. But if your life is about giving, you will find more, far more than you ever give away. If you make your life not about gaining, but about giving, you will actually receive far more in return. Now, I'm not meaning, of course, that you will just get back all the money you give away. Because some of you are like, hold up, so you're saying if I give a thousand, I'll get two in the mail? Like, I like this idea. Where do I sign up? It's not saying there's like this exchange that if, if we give this much to God or this much to the poor, that we'll get some random check or we'll get a promotion. It doesn't mean that. It's not this way to manipulate God. But what he is saying is this, the trust 
the relationship that you foster with God, the understanding of God's generous heart as you start in your own life to practice generosity and understand the generosity of God far outweighs any satisfaction that money could ever offer in your life. The generosity pushes that idol away and it gives you far more than you could ever give away. See, generosity is the litmus test on if money is an idol in your life. Generosity is the litmus test on if money is an idol in your life. See, if you were tracking with us this morning, you're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, don't, don't offer your security and money. That's not a challenge for me. All right, I got that. I'm good. Don't allow money to lead to compromise. I, got, I kind of judge everyone the same. I don't, I don't really struggle with that. Great, okay. Uh, see the limitations of money. Yeah, I'd much rather be godly and have a fear of God than have money. Great, be generous. You're like, nope. Money's an idol in your life that it prevents us from the life that God would have for us. See, money is far too seductive of an idol that if we are not intentionally giving it away, it will consume us. Money is far too seductive in what it promises, what it can bring, that if we are not intentional at giving it away, it will consume our hearts and it will become an idol in the place of God in our lives. Some of us, as we see this and we see these verses like that one in Proverbs, that man, if, if we give, if we bless others, God will give to us in return. And we're like, yeah, I want that. I wanna do that, but I can't right now. So I'm, I, this, this is when, and it's easy to hear and to see God's calling on us to be generous and to make excuses for where we are and to plan to change in the future. Right? You're like, okay, listen, I get it. God calls me generous. I'm totally on board, right? I got school bills. I had the unexpected insurance thing. I got a car payment. I got to save up for a house. I'm right. I got, I get this. So in two years, once all of that gets settled, then I'll start to practice generosity. What do you think is going to happen two years later? You're going to have a whole other sort of problems that are pulling at your life that you're going to say, well, that was unexpected. So in two more years, and you're going to find yourself 20, 30, 40 years down the road, still making excuses on why you're not giving anything away, why you're holding onto it yourself. See, the reality is if you don't start now with wherever you are, whether that's a lot or a little in your life, if you don't start now, you most likely won't in the future. Doesn't matter if you're just working part-time, minimum wage if you're in college, or it doesn't matter if you're a CEO and you're making so much money that you don't know what to do with. If you don't start now, you probably won't in the future. See, generosity is not an income issue. It's a heart issue. Generosity isn't an income issue. It's a heart issue. Some of the most generous people that I have ever encountered in my life had very, very little wealth to give away but they were so, so generous with what they had. And some of the stingiest people that I've ever seen in my life are those who had far more wealth than most of us could ever imagine. Generosity is not how much you make, it's where your heart is. And wherever you find yourself, whether you have very little or very much, stop making excuses and saying, well, I'll get to that later because if we don't start, if we don't adjust our lives now, we won't. And the reality is you're missing out on what God wants to do in your life now by pushing off obedience to a later time. Don't miss out on God's blessing and what he can do with you now by making excuses to push it off for a future time. 
Some of you, as we talked this morning about money, about generosity and giving it away, just admit it, you're feeling things right now. You're like, I'm not sure what I feel. I think I'm angry, though. I think I'm like, how dare you get up there and tell me what I should do with my money? Right? Because that's, we have an emotional relationship with money in our world. It is a very emotional thing. Right? You'll talk a lot about things with people. And then someone comes up and starts asking you how much money you make and what you spend your money. You're like, whoa, 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 you crossed the line. Right? Like, this is my private thing. Like, what, why does this pastor think he has a right to tell me how to do with my money? How does God think he should tell me what to do with the money that I have in my life? What's going on? Now, here's the thing. If I came up here, which we do all the time on Sunday after Sunday, and say, hey, you should be generous with your time towards others. You should be generous with your gifts and serving towards others. You should be generous in love towards others. We're all like, yeah, let's go be generous. And like, and you should be generous with your money. We're like, no, I don't like that one. (laughs) See, we as Christians don't have a problem with generosity in any other thing. But sometimes when it comes to generosity and our money, somehow something comes up inside of us. And that emotional reaction that sometimes we feel that I felt at times in my life is because money's become an idol, And it's pushed into things and it's pushing on me that other things wouldn't because of the place that it has in my heart. See, I've been asked before, people have come to me and said, well, you're a pastor. Why should I give God some of my money? To which I just say, you know, you've got, you're asking the wrong question because it's not your money. Why should I give God some of my money? Well, see, if you start, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've started to understand that life is all what God has given you, everything that you have in your life is something received from God and you're responsible for how you treat it, but it's not yours. Your family, your kids, everything, your money, God has given to you. It's not yours. You are simply holding on to it for a season. So the question isn't why shouldn't I, or why should I give God some of my money? It's what can I do with what God has blessed me with that is his to not just help myself, but to help others around me. So the Christian doesn't see that as their money, as my money, but what God has so graciously given to me. It's temporary. The reality is, as Proverbs points out, we don't bring it with us after this life anyways. See, Jesus, ultimately at the end of the day, He doesn't want your money. He's got plenty of it. Jesus wants your heart. And how we handle our money, the feelings, the security, the focus on money in our time, in our culture, where we live has become so consuming that it's so easy to push God to the side. And for a lot of us, maybe even you've already been practicing generosity and you're faithful in your giving. Money is seductive and it can come in at any time and start to push God aside. So wherever you find yourself this morning, just ask for God to reveal in your heart, has has money become an idol in my life? Is it pushing God to the side? Am I going after it? It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to have a good job. But those things offer temptations in our lives that can push God out. Ultimately, where our treasure is, there our, heart, our hearts will be. That's why the Bible talks so much about it. That's why Jesus wants us to be generous. It's because it's a reflection of our hearts. When we are generous, it's a reflection that our hearts belong to him. When we hold on, It's reflections that our hearts are following other idols in our lives and not him. God, we thank you that you 
are a generous God. That you have given us far more than we have ever deserved. God, and I pray that you and your spirit would work in our hearts. God, to show us the idols in our lives, the things that would take your place and push you to the side. God, and if we've made an idol of money in our lives, God, help us right now to repent, to find our worth, our value in you and not in the things and the money and the life that that could bring, but in you and you alone. God, we pray that our hearts would grow more and more to understand how generous you have been towards us and to live out that generosity towards others. God, we need your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.